0: Hey, welcome to the Knowles 24-7 podcast. This is Brandon Sinone. Joining me today, Chris Snee, who has vowed to talk crystal clear into the microphone. His body language is excellent. He's smiling. I'm excited. I'm happy for you. I feel like you're in a new place right now.
1: Hey, I just want to make sure that people can hear me.
0: Yeah, don't drink water right before I set you up to, to, to talk. All right, so the other day, uh, I was actually in St. Pete uh, with, with uh, well, not with Newberg, but we ended up joining Newberg, and uh, we did a podcast kind of summing up the coaching hires, and now uh, the desk that settled from that. Uh, we'll kind of get back on to what we would normally talk about this time of year, which is going to be recruiting stuff, and, uh, and that's why I have Chris with me today, because he's going to going to share uh, share his thoughts and insights to what we've seen in the past week with recruiting, which has been pretty productive for, uh, for Florida State, as well as official visits that are coming up, and we'll also get into um, uh, the schedule, uh, which came out the other day for the 2018 season. Uh, Josh and I didn't get into that at the time, because again, we were just trying to go down the, the list of coaches, so uh, we'll get Chris's insights on that as well, but... Let's start with recruiting. It has been a good uh, week, week and a half or so. Two, two commits for Florida State. Let's start with Cameron McDonald, a uh, big four, uh, four-star tight end from California. Chris, that seems like uh, one of the bigger hauls so far for Willie Taggart and his staff. Yeah,
1: he's the guy that they identified pretty early on. They needed a tight end in this class, especially with Ryan Izzo deciding to go into the NFL draft. I think Cameron McDonald's a guy that fits well into what they like to do offensively. He's almost a hybrid receiver tight end. Mm -hmm. Everybody I've spoken to that's familiar with him out on the West Coast. Greg Biggins, for example, in our network, they refer to him almost as a hybrid, not like as a true tight end, inline blocker type. He's capable of doing those things, but he's also a guy that can do a lot of work down the field. You wrote about that sort of in your scouting report about him, that he is a versatile weapon. He's a guy that can be used in a number of ways in the offense and kind of fits what Willie has done traditionally with his tight ends.
0: I thought his addition to me was representative of what we're going to see the tight ends be at Florida State. I wasn't yeah. sure if he was going to do... because you know, he wanted, The thing about the tight end was the way the position was, and we've talked about this before with the roster management, they were stacked. The previous regime had too many tight ends. Five on the roster, I think, they had last year, and the way they used them wasn't like they were Stanford or or, you know, Boston College or something where they're just loading up with tight ends. You'd see two tight ends sometimes, but it was kind of a weird management uh, issue with, with, with roster application.
1: Yeah, the production didn't match the numbers, Correct. essentially. Correct. I mean, in a lot of ways, especially Izzo was used almost as a six lineman a yeah. majority of the time he was on the field. And that
0: may have been partially because they had to keep him back. Uh, but yeah, there wasn't a maximization of his skill level. Uh, certainly, I, I feel like you're going to look back at Maven Saunders and say, man, I just they didn't get the most out of that guy and what he could have been. And I, partially that's on Maven for not being a great practice player. And I think partially that's on the staff for not trusting him. just put him out in, the, in space and let him do stuff. But, but anyways, I was curious to see what tight end was going to be like under Willie Taggart. And, and you know, from my understanding is, is he really wanted Ryan Izzo to stay. He, wanted, he thought he was the guy that was going to be – a multidimensional threat for them. Uh, you know, he's a really good inline blocker, uh, shown some decent receiving skills when given the chance. Um, but but you look at how Willie Taggart's used tight ends in the past, and they're all over the place. They're like an H-back, uh, they're inline blocking, they're lined up as almost wide receivers, slot wide receivers, even blockers out there, and they're doing a lot of screens. So Izzo was going to be big to get back, or even getting Maven Saunders, they don't get any. So, yeah, it was big for them to get a tight end. Uh, I like McDonald from what I saw. Uh, but, but, yeah, it sounds like people uh, – that have evaluated much longer than, than we have, were pretty high on him, and he's got a good ranking from 24-7 from Yeah,
1: I think one of the impressive things about McDonald's commitment is he did it sight unseen. He's never been that FSU. Yep. He's coming in this weekend for his official. So he's a kid that fully has bought in on the coaching and people. Mm-hmm. So whenever you have somebody that kind of does that, instead of the window shopping of seeing a university, it's a good sign. Now, I think he'll come in this weekend like what he sees, but... He's coming to FSU because he believes in Willie Taggart's offense and the way he fits it, which is a mutually beneficial thing.
0: Yep, and and he talked in his interview with, with Biggins after he committed. I can't remember when he, when he committed at this point. The 13th. It was, it was the third. Okay, yeah. so um, – but, so, so, after that, he, he talked to Greg, and, and one of the things that stuck out was talking about immediate playing time, which, you know, he, he has an idea of what that depth chart looks like currently. Yeah. It's um, him and
1: Trey McKitty are the two guys that fit what they're going to try to do. There's other guys I can try to find a role, Alexander Marshall, and is there, I'm sure, mm-hmm. but at this point, Trey McKitty and Cam McDonald are the two guys that fit what we know Willie wants to do in that position.
0: Yeah, well said, I I agree. So, moving on from, from McDonald, uh, Jalen Goss is the, the other commit that was earlier in the week, and... Uh, A bit of a project, I guess. Three-star offensive lineman from Valdosta Lowndes.
1: Yeah, a project with upsides. Greg Fry came in, immediately knew he wanted to add more numbers on the offensive line. Mm -hmm. Also wanted to add talent. I think Jalen Goss is a kid that he liked a lot when he evaluated him at Michigan. Mm -hmm. He may have not fit into Michigan's plans from a number standpoint, but he's a guy Mm -hmm. that Greg certainly wanted. The minute he got here, he identified him and William Barnes as two clear-cut targets for Mm -hmm. him. And he went after him, and they got him and locked it up quickly, getting him in for an unofficial visit because he came in and hung out with game neighbors for a day, their old high school mm-hmm. teammates. It was beneficial. He had a chance to meet with Willie. He had a chance to meet with Greg while he was here. Then FSU went and did the in home, and that's when they sealed the deal with him. He committed on the 15th, but he actually committed on the 14th mm-hmm. to the staff. So he's a talented kid. He's 6'7", 265. Those numbers have fluctuated as far as weight. Um, has a frame to add a lot of weight, athletic kid in the lower half, long-armed. There's a lot to work with there. He's not a kid that's going to walk in and contribute day one, I don't believe. But I think he's a guy that has a shot in a couple years of being a pretty good offensive tackle project.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's why I use the the phrase project. I think sometimes there's like a negative connotation yeah, well, to
1: it. I look at it this way. You know, Him and Chaz Neal are both what you would consider projects. I consider Jalen Goss a project because – he has to physically develop into his body, mm-hmm. but he has shown ability on film. Chaz Neal was a project because he has a special body, 6'7", 250-plus kind of kid, but the game's not there. Like, mm-hmm. you watch his film and he's not impressive. Mm-hmm. He's an underwhelming recruit without a shadow of a doubt. He's a guy that, truthfully, if it was solely about talent, he would not be a part of this class, but in recruiting, a lot of times, it's not solely about talent. And in his case, it's about relationships. Yeah. It's not something you want FSU to kind of... Burn a bridge this that early on area. in the process. Yeah, yeah, you just don't do it. You take him, you put him on the offensive line, you bury him, you see if he can turn into something. If he doesn't, he transfers out, yeah. hopefully.
0: He's I mean, physically, he's big, and has yeah. that going for him? But, but he's super underwhelming on film. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, we've heard, I've talked to people that, that had you know, relatives go up against him like a JV level and say, who the hell is yeah. this Yeah, and this, this when this he
1: committed, too. people that are familiar with him from either coaching him or being opposing coaches to him, we're all kind of like, what the heck is FSU he doing? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's just no positive buzz there. With Goss, his uh, position coach at Lounge was extremely complimentary of him, mm-hmm. both as a person and a player with how he's developed, especially in the last two years. And there's other people that have faced him. Lowndes was obviously very successful, as they traditionally are. Mm-hmm. That faced him, that's like, oh, yes, his best football is ahead of him, mm-hmm. and he's a pretty good player today. Mm-hmm. So it's very different vibes that you get in those two situations. So they're both projects, but one obviously has a clearer upside. while well, the other one is very much a who knows if he'll actually turn into
0: anything. Yeah. One's a project with the path. The thing I liked about Goss yeah. was, was— that's you, a good way to put it. Thank you. Um, what, what I liked that you see right away is the footwork like that. I'm not, yeah. a, I'm not a. I'm and not an offensive line guru. He's a guy that likes to finish
1: blocks. There, yeah. There's a certain want to with his game that's mm-hmm. clearly evident. There's some physical limitations because he is thin on that frame. He mm-hmm. is still in a developmental phase, but he has a want to offensive lineman. You know, you, you want athleticism. You want some intelligence above the shoulders. You want a desire to be physical. And I think mm-hmm. Greg's going to definitely instill a mm-hmm. "let's go north south, let's run over people" kind of mm-hmm. thing. And Jalen Goss shows that on film that he's willing and capable of doing
0: that. I, I think under the the previous uh often, the previous regime and the way the offensive line was recruited, uh, you didn't see enough athletes with flyers that were taken on me. You saw Jawan Williams, Rod Johnson. Those were the guys with the big frames well, that are athletic. But Bellow
1: was very much a project. Yeah, and he athletic was a guy mode. very highly thought of, and he just hasn't developed worth an ounce here. He's not yeah. a guy that, at any point in the last couple of years, has any has had anyone within the program speaking as though he has a
0: prominent he, future. You you know, uh, someone asked him about it on the message board earlier today, and I looked up his PFF numbers. He graded out like above average in But he saw 30 so snaps. few snaps, yeah. Yeah, but, but the fact – remember when we saw him in the spring and, and – uh, one of us made a smart-ass comment, I can't remember, because people were always asking about Bellow, and we, after that spring game, we're like, that's why. <laughs> he, yeah. We don't hear much about him because he just got his ass kicked.
1: It's going to um, be interesting under Greg how the offensive line develops. I think mm-hmm. they obviously have good numbers at that position. They have a lot of bodies.
0: They, they have done I, that. I
1: think yep. the talent is questionable both in the ability to actually do it and the ability just to have ability. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it'll be interesting to see how spring takes if there's guys that kind of emerge that haven't done anything, if there's guys that kind of Refocus and do a better job. Maybe get in better shape. Mm -hmm. I think Cole Minshew, for example, I think Cole's a guy that if he shed a few pounds, obviously could have a very prominent future. Mm -hmm. Very talented kid. Mauler definitely fits what Greg wants to do. But you can't be as heavy as he's been and get away with that. He needs to be like there's part of the reason he's had issues with his lower half injury as far as injuries. So Mm -hmm. it's gonna be interesting to see who kind of takes the medicine and gets better, and who Mm -hmm. takes the medicine and decides to leave. So, yeah. I'm interested in that. I, I think the feeling among the new coaching staff with the O-line is that there's a lot of numbers. The talent is sort of to be determined. And with the 2018 class, they weren't going to be able to go out and land an elite type. You know, they love William Barnes, Nicholas Petit Ferrer is another kid, but they weren't going to pursue Petit- him. The- um, there were guys that they liked, clearly, but mm-hmm. they weren't going to just be able to go get them. And there were only so many really high-end linemen out there that you almost have to just board up the shop and go to 19 and hope you do a great job there. It's not like the guys that are taking an 18 are bad, but I think they understood that they had limited options.
0: And there's sacrifice they have to make, like a guy like, like Goss is, you know, you're banking on upside. Yeah, You're not getting a complete package. But uh, right Goss
1: now. wasn't a Band-Aid on a cut. He was a guy that Dave they wanted. Yeah. I mean, he, Greg walked in the door and him and Barnes were his two guys mm-hmm. that he knew he wanted to pursue. And with Barnes, there's just not been much connection there. Mm-hmm. I don't expect to happen. And that one's probably going to come down to UNC in Florida. With Goss, it was an immediate, like, yeah, I'm interested. Let me get over there. Thanks for the offer. Mm-hmm. I'm committed. I mean, kid hasn't even taken an official to FSU. Yeah, and he committed. He took one unofficial, and he had camped here previously, but didn't tour mm-hmm. when he camped. He simply camped and left.
0: So this is something that I think, before we get into the official visitors, as we're talking about recruiting, I want to get your thoughts. Josh and I talked about a little bit, was the way the staff is now kind of compiled uh, and, and the makeup of it. You're going to see, obviously, a ton of ties to Florida. And I don't think that's coincidental at all. I think that's really smart for Willie Taggart because uh, going up into Atlanta is going to be really tough the next few years with Clemson, Georgia, and then Alabama you know, mm-hmm. the way they are. And a good portion of Georgia's and Alabama are going to be kind of shut off. So Florida is kind of open real estate for the most part. Uh, but you look at, at some of the work they're starting to do in South Georgia. Um, they got Goss. Are they bringing in the other all those yeah, kid for Michael. Uh, for, uh,
1: I believe it's Barrett, might be Barnett. I should definitely look him. Sorry, sure I, I said you name up without right. looking. Hey, I'm pulling it. Yeah, it's up. okay. He's an athlete quarterback for them. Has won a ton of game at Lounge. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't necessarily look him as a quarterback target. He could potentially play there, but I'd look at him more as a good football player who's an athlete who has value.
0: He was the best athlete. He was that when watching. Goss in depth the other day, he was the other guy that stood out. Yeah. So I was like who's the quarterback? I'm like, he he's a little he cut off. He's he's not, a, he's, he's not
1: listed a, at like 5'11 and a half, so yeah. he's up six foot. He's an athlete, but he's a good football player.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, so, so and, you not, assume, and that's
1: a school where you lay, you lay seed.
0: Well, that's uh, that was going to be what I want. Is you can't really, so you're gonna, you know, Tampa is going to be in play, you know, South Florida is going to be in play, you assume Orlando, the other areas that are up for grabs. I think you look at South Georgia is still a place where if you're Florida State, you have a presence. Uh, yeah, you're gonna, any you're other gonna, areas? You're going to yep.
1: battle Georgia and South Georgia, and mm-hmm. you're going to battle as weird as it sounds. Colorado State will be involved <laughs> there because Bobo still incredibly popular yeah. in South Georgia, and then other schools, Minnesota, for example, came into Tift in last this past cycle, mm-hmm. 2018 cycle, and got Rashad Bateman, a really talented receiver that kind of flew under the radar. So there will always be schools that dip in, but that's an area where FSU, because of proximity, can have a great deal of success.
0: I like the linebacker from Tifton, and uh, he was committed to Oregon. It was Andrew Johnson, I think, yes, yes. from Tifton. I don't know if they're going to end up going in on him, but he was another no, guy he, that, that Him out. and
1: Raymond Woody had a good relationship. I believe they did speak after Woody got out of FSU, mm-hmm. but... Andrew participated in the offense defense game, was asked there, and said he was pretty much solid to Oregon in the process. So he's good. That one, unless he kind of pulls that 11th hour, I'm going to take one more visit type of thing, Mm -hmm. that one seems put to bed. All right. It was Michael
0: Barrett, by the way. I pulled it up. Okay. So let's go to official visits, Chris. Right now we have three that we have confirmed, or that you have confirmed, I should say. Um, I'm just piggybacking on the success of Knowles 24 7 these days. It's all good. Um, So you have three. Let's start off Cameron McDonald. We talked about Mm -hmm. him, but you get. A guy to commit uh, before even coming for the official visit, I guess, what, if you're Florida State, are you trying to accomplish him with, with him at that point?
1: You want him to be another spokesperson for you in the West Coast Knowles movement. Mm-hmm. You want him to be able to go back and tell 2019-2020 kids at Long Beach Poly, an excellent school, mm-hmm. that he's one from. Of the, one of the best. Yeah. yeah, in a school that FSU's targeted already, offering some younger guys there. Mm-hmm. You want him to be able to tell them, oh, I love Tallahassee. I love the coaching staff there. I love the opportunity there. It's a winning tradition. You want him to kind of be the voice that speaks it in the truth for those kids. Mm -hmm. Because kids listen to their teammates more than they're ever going to listen to an adult. Correct. Um, Cam's also coming along with Jalen Hall, another official visitor. They're teammates. They're good friends. It's important. Jalen's a battle between Oregon and Florida State. Which is interesting. Yeah, and it's probably going to come down to those two. He was an Oregon target for Willie when he was there, and the new staff there, including Marcus... Arroyo, who's one of the transition guys, who was on mm-hmm. the previous staff and the new staff. Michael Johnson, I believe has I kind of Yeah, Michael Johnson's yeah. on one. I believe those guys <laughs> have kind of carried the flag for them during the transition mm-hmm. and kept them strongly in the mix. Um, I don't know Jalen very well. I don't have a great deal of interaction with him. I've spoken to some people that are more familiar with his recruitment than I am. Mm-hmm. Proximity sounds like it is in play there a little bit more than it's been with uh, Jaden and Cameron. Mm-hmm. But, you know, this weekend, FSU's chance – To kind of take a big swing. And they're Mm going to get probably the last true visit. Oregon's trying to get them in. Potentially a midweek type of deal. I don't know if that happens. This might be the last big swing that either school gets. So, Mm -hmm. FSC's going to get that last impression. Willie's already gone and done an in-home with them. So, they've had that interaction. This weekend is basically, if I'm FSU, I'm laying it out there on the paper that, hey, we don't have a whole lot of receivers. We love tall guys with a lot of catch radius. Mm -hmm. You fill that bill. You were a guy I wanted at Oregon. Mm -hmm. I want you at FSU. Here's our quarterback talent. Here's what our offense is going to look like. Do you fit it? Do you want to come be a part of this? Mm -hmm. And see how it plays out. Going in, I think FSU has a very good shot. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's a sure thing by any stretch, but they're certainly in play, and there's certainly a great deal of interest. And he's a kid that's kind of, you know – he doesn't seem to love the process. He's not itching for people to be after him. Mm-hmm. So for him to decide to fly cross country, he certainly has an interest. He's not just taking a free visit to Tallahassee.
0: And let me ask you this: So if FSU does get the last visit, um, there has to be research that someone that some network has done. What are the odds when a school has the last visit? How much exponentially higher of the chance do you have of, of landing guys? It, it's a guy? pretty
1: important to make that last impression. Mm-hmm. Now, if you did this February 2nd, the last visit... Well, then you feel real good, right? Then you feel great. <laughs> you know, if this kid gets home and wants to decide immediately, then you're feeling pretty fancy. But if he waits two, three weeks, it wears off a bit. It comes more to, you know, feeling, sitting feeling down... Feeling fancy. Feeling fancy. <laughs> it comes down to sitting on the paper, writing pros and cons, and figuring out which school fits you better. So... Mm-hmm. In the immediate, yeah, it matters. It's always about kind of an emotional high combining with selling your program. Mm-hmm. And those two things coming together to create a commitment. The percentage of it, I don't know, but I would certainly say it's higher than it not happening.
0: So, Jalen Hall is a four star wide receiver. Uh, you mentioned the wide catch radius. He's six foot four, uh, about 200 pounds. Uh, let's see the composite ranking for 24 7, 100th nationally. Yeah. He was the guy yeah. at one point was like. The cream of the crop. He was thought of
1: as like a five-star type, especially after his sophomore season. Mm-hmm. Um, people that are more familiar with him out west have kind of said that they feel like he topped off to some degree as a sophomore, mm-hmm. that the film as a junior and as a senior and the play in those two seasons mm-hmm. kind of underwhelmed compared to what they saw thought as a was, sophomore. Yeah. Now, sometimes guys get bored with the high school game. Sometimes guys try, uh, grow and have to figure out their body. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of reasons why that might happen. Sometimes it's just a guy gets lazy and doesn't want to work as hard. Mm-hmm. The interesting thing with Jalen, he was supposed to be part of the Army game. He did not show up. Kind of disappointing. You always want to see those kids compete Pete, yeah. against the elite of the elite. That yes. would have been a nice week to see how he would have performed. But you know, he's a guy that Willie identified early in his time at Oregon as a target, mm-hmm. and immediately went after again at FSU. So it's clear that Willie Taggart values him a great deal.
0: And he's gonna. I, mean, I took some time to watch. Usually, I don't do this too much until after they they commit, but I did take time to watch his his highlights and like he's. A big possession receiver, and that's what they want. They yeah. want guys with a wide catch radius, and, and that's... He's a good enough athlete, yeah. and
1: he's a guy that has a lot of pieces to the skill set. The issue is that, you go watch the sophomore film, and you're going to be like, ooh, wow, this kid, mm-hmm. he's got to jump off the page at you, and then watch a junior and senior film after that. You're going to feel like, you know, the sequel isn't as good as the original. Or
0: underwhelming, which, which I guess raises some red flags yeah. if, if you're not looking at a guy. But like, when
1: you're FSU and you're in desperate need of receivers, yeah. and the kid is talented, you don't say no.
0: Yeah, no, exactly. You need the numbers at that point, and you see the, the raw talent. My, my high school coach used to say, if you're not getting better, you're getting worse. Yeah. I think he was saying it directly towards me, too.
1: But we've seen plenty of kids that have been elite-type talents who kind of tailed off late in their high school career. And, you know, sometimes it's a recruiting monster getting a hold of them, and they just— they kind of yeah. listen to the press clippings instead of working as hard as they could. And it'll be interesting to see how those type of kids, you know, Jalen Hall and others of that sort, perform when they get on a college campus. Some, some get better and kind of show off the skill we once knew they had, and some kind of ball up and transfer out and bounce around and never develop. So it's a mixed bag.
0: Like you say, if you're Florida State, you're taking the you're, – you're rolling the dice there. If he wants to pop, you're, you're going to accept that, though, because you're you're desperate at that position to get depth. Yeah, most
1: times you would be scared of taking a kid from that far away from home who has those yeah. sort of things going on. But when you have a Cam McDonald, a Jaden Woodbay on your roster, it kind of creates a comfort blanket yeah. of he's going to have guys he can, you know, console and speak with when the going gets tough. Yeah, that helps with the bus He's not just going to hop on a plane and go
0: home. A little bit, yeah. Yeah. Um, Is that West Coast Knowles movement, is that sustainable? Maybe that's something that's been popular, that's something that makes sense because Willie Taggart was developing those ties in his year at Oregon? Well, I
1: think his time at Oregon obviously made that an area that they scouted and recruited heavily, so there's some Mm built-in, you know, likes there. They've clearly made an effort with some 19 and 20 kids out that way that they want to pursue. Sustainable to me with West Coast kids for FSU is getting, you know, two, three a year. That's what I mean. Is it, yeah, you, I, I you think that is. That. I, I think you get a couple each year, you kind of build up a, well, these kids before you did this, so why can't you do this? Mm-hmm. It's kind of like the Texas thing. We saw a Texas kid come and that mm-hmm. became, became a ex- expectation of the next Texas kid might come. DMV so, as well. Yeah, and DMV's not going to go away. Odell Higgins yeah, is still on that staff, and there's other guys with ties to that area. Mm-hmm. That ain't going away. Virginia Tech can recruit like a crazy man up there. They've done a much better job with Fuente at making sure they made that area a priority than they were at the end of the Beamer era. Mm-hmm. But that area is always going to be somewhere FSU goes and pursues kids. And if a guy like LeBorn next year comes out and has a great year then instantaneously so you have the next guy you can point to, kind of mm-hmm. like Naughty and Sweat were for other guys. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it opens up Levante Taylor's yeah. on the version. Yeah, and and Levante's younger
1: brother is a guy that they definitely want. He's mm-hmm. definitely interested. So, yeah, it certainly looks like that's going to continue up that way.
0: See, only only a, a podcast uh, narrated or, or, or led, by, navigated by me, I should say, will take us to talk about DMV kids when there's no one really that is on the on the docket from the DMV currently. Yeah, but that, that
1: area is a phenomenal place to <laughs> pursue kids from.
0: All right, so let's move on to the third official visitor that we have confirmed. That's Andrew Chatfield, four-star defensive end from uh, from South Florida.
1: Yeah, and he's sort of a hybrid. He's he's a guy that could play outside backer.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: He could play both D Six and, two, and two outside. 6'2 through 21, so yeah. a
0: little, little lighter right now.
1: He, he's a bit of a tweener, which mm-hmm. always has a negative connotation. But in his case, he put on a film and you're not going to think anything negative about him. He's mm-hmm. a productive player who plays really hard every snap. Mm-hmm. high-motor guy. I know that sounds like cliche, but it's true. He is a high-motor guy. He gets after it. Mm-hmm. He's a guy that likes being physical. He likes using his hands. He likes being effective at pressuring the quarterback, playing the run. He can do multiple things off the edge. FSU's playing a bit of catch-up there. I would mm-hmm. say Miami's kind of the clear-cut favorite right now. Um, Florida's also in there. FSU's also in there. I would say really the three in-state schools that remain main. Uh, killers in his recruitment. Mm-hmm. This weekend is going to be about Raymond Woody really working hard with him, him getting a relationship with Mark Snyder, figuring out how he fits into the future of the Florida State defensive scheme mm-hmm. and seeing if he likes it. Uh, you know, Going in, I think he's a Miami kid. I think he's Miami to lose, but they have a lot of work to do to kind of make an impression and he's giving them that opportunity.
0: Yeah, he got a chance. He just took an official to Miami last, last weekend. weekend. Yeah,
1: which he pushed for it to be last weekend. I think originally... If it was up to Miami, they would have preferred to be the 26th or the 3rd, mm-hmm. or 2nd, essentially the last visit. At this point, it looks like he'll probably come to FSU this week and go to Florida next weekend. Mm-hmm. Not convinced he goes anywhere the weekend after that. There's plenty of schools after him. OU, for example, I mm-hmm. believe, was just in home, Wittem, Oklahoma. So there's plenty of schools that want him, But he's not a guy that's just taking trips for the sake of taking them. He's going to schools he's truly interested it's in.
0: kind of old-fashioned big three. You don't see that as uh, as often anymore, that all three are yeah. kind of in the same, yeah. same Mi- Miami's
1: done a really good job there. Florida, he, he's a former Ohio State commitment from many months ago. Mm-hmm. Florida, after his decommitment from Ohio State, seemed like the clear-cut favorite coming out of that decommitment. And then Miami throughout the season just kind of pulled away from the pack. They were the one that took the lead and kind of pulled away. The crystal ball reflects that right now. It's 82% Miami. Miami. Florida's got 11% and the cloudy 7%. So it's pretty clear that the industry as a whole kind of expects them to end up in Coral Gables. And Coach Cool down there has done a really good job, D-line coach, mm-hmm. both with production with his players and he's shown the ability to recruit. So, you know, they, there's not a reason why Miami shouldn't get him. Like, mm-hmm. They've done their job. It's a matter of FSC doing enough to make it really difficult for Miami
0: to get him. So three guys that we have, um, and obviously that, that can be fluid. Uh, are we... Think that there's anyone else, any other names to maybe keep an eye on?
1: Well, Willie Tigger taught us a great lesson in mid-December of like, don't, don't not expect something to happen. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, he they went for I think it was 13 visitors that weekend. They got 12 of them in. Nadab Joseph, who ended up flipping to George on his early signing period, is the only guy they didn't get in that they tried to get in that weekend. So, yeah. There's a possibility of another one showing up. Things this year are, to use a cliche, very fluid, mm-hmm. but it is true. I mean, you're all, you're example, full of it today. Well, cliches are rampant at the end of the recruiting <laughs> cycle. But, for example, Antoine Green has been pegged for going to Ohio State this weekend mm-hmm. for several weeks, and that's straight from Antoine Green. And then today, our Ohio State site reached out to me asking me to check with him. He's not going to see the Buckeyes this weekend. He didn't confirm to me where he is going. Speaking to another source on the Georgia and they expect him in this weekend. <laughs> So that's literally something that essentially came about probably since Wednesday, because mm-hmm. most schools try to lock in weekend official visitors around Wednesday. But you don't truly know till a kid gets in the car or on the plane that they're coming.
0: No, mm-hmm. oh, so yeah, there's still what we expect it as always for recruiting to be uh, pretty, pretty fluid. And yeah, this is an example of Willie Taggart uh, with his first weekend of official visit. It was pretty crazy. Yes. I actually caught some slack or flack, flack, flack from Florida fans uh, on the column I wrote, basically saying, yeah, you know, Willie." Taggart announced himself that weekend, uh, and they're still salty about it. Well, I, 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 I wrote
1: was, it about Taggart when he took the job. You have to tell him no. Yeah. He's not a guy that's just going to be like talk to somebody that covers recruiting or a high school coach or the kid himself and the kids, you know, talking about these three schools. Mm-hmm. So he's just not going to pursue him because he's only talking about these three schools. Now, if he wants a kid, he's going to pursue him. Mm-hmm. He's going to make the kid say no, going to make have to make the kid make it clear to him. That he has no intention of playing for him.
0: I I just I don't understand why people. I I guess everyone's gonna have their own opinion and and interpret things differently. Like why some people would be down on what he's doing so far with recruiting. Like that first weekend was was a smashing success. Like you go and you look at it, so you get you get would be eventually from that, and you get Bolden, so you get two blue chip commits. You secure Robert Cooper and you secure Asante Samuel Jr. Like that's I mean that in and of itself is huge. Yeah,
1: you get Antoine Green a former commitment back in. We're yeah. talking a December fifteenth weekend, yeah. one before the dead period began in early. When period.
0: there was what? Like him and Telly Lockett were the only guys in <coughs> yeah, Odell or are the only back. ones that are that are on the staff now. So you,
1: you get Antoine Green in, he's a guy that was formally committed, you want to make a run at him. You get them in and you do what you have to do. Obviously, you would have preferred to have an offense coordinator, receiver, coach at that time Mm -hmm. where you could have kind of clearly laid the path. But it is what it is. Mm -hmm. You're trying to get in there. you got Malcolm Lamar and Warren Thompson, two guys that are heavily tied to Willie Taggart. And at this point, I think both of those guys are more likely to end up in the FSU's class than not to end up in their Mm -hmm. class. Two big pieces, a big receiver, a big DN, both positions of need. So I thought he did a very good job there. In a short time, he did a good job of shoring up the commitments that Mm -hmm. they had got seven of them to sign. Christian Meadows didn't sign, but we've seen him since kind of shut it down and say he's firm to FSU. Yeah, that's another one. They figured out what the class was going to kind of be and what they would have to work towards in January. Mm -hmm. Obviously, your job is complicated when 65% of kids sign in the early period. So, you know, six and a half out of every 10 kids you're pursuing are gone. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, you're working with limited numbers. You're going to kind of have to rat race it in the end, pursue a lot of kids, figure out who you really have a shot at, get them in, try to close the deal. But, for what they're working with for coming into a program where recruiting hadn't really happened for fifty days, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. I mean they, they weren't handed a situation where there was a week or two week period where things kinda of fell off. They were handed a program where for seven, eight weeks basically, recruiting wasn't
0: happening. So you mentioned numbers uh, off the top of the head and, and we're gonna riff here a little bit. Uh, this maybe end up something we we'll have to go back and re-edit if we don't if we don't don't get the numbers right. But So with the scholarship count, what are we expecting more or less? How many more room for commitments do they have? I think it's probably about 7 to 10 possibly. We're expecting some attrition. Yeah, they're
1: sitting at 12 right now. I think 20 is kind of a safe number to look at, Mm -hmm. 7 to 8 right now. If you look at, you know, quarterback James Foster is clearly the top guy, so that's one. Do
0: you want to, real quick on, well, we'll get back, we'll circle back around to James Foster I'll make
1: a note. Running back, Jay Sean Corbin and a couple other guys are kind of in the mix. I still think they take one there. It's not necessarily a necessity, especially Mm -hmm. with Patrick coming back, but I think it's likely that they still look to take one because Mm -hmm. there's talent. Receiver, I think they'll take, you know, three to four. It's clearly a position of need. They got Antoine Green in the mix, Warren Thompson, Jalen Hall this weekend, and there's others. It's not like they're limiting themselves. Tight end, they got their guy Cam mm-hmm. McDonald. Mm-hmm. O line, they're probably done with what they have in the fold currently. Mm-hmm. DN Malcolm Lamar is probably an addition. We certainly expect them to try to take at least one or two more. Look like Another position, some need. big
0: DN's kind of you know, yeah. Uh, the both yeah. Bol- Jamarcus Chapman, is, yeah. John
1: Mincy, Dennis Briggs is probably more of a D tackle in a four three mm-hmm. scheme. He's probably about the only D-tackle they're truly after. Jamarcus Chapman's kind of a tweener. He could be a strong side guy, Mm -hmm. could be a D-tackle. Same with Mincy, kind of fits that role. Strong side, D-tackle. So I expect at least one to two more big bodies Mm -hmm. on the D-line beyond Malcolm Lamar, who I expect to be in the class. Mm -hmm. Linebacker, you see him pursuing a few. Xavier Peters is kind of a wild card. Right now, he's on the schedule for FSU and Florida for next weekend. Mm -hmm. I think whoever he visits next weekend should feel pretty good about their shot at flipping the Kentucky commitment. I still think they would like to take another DB. I don't think it's necessarily a necessity, but if the right kid comes along. Yeah. Trish John get. Harrison would be the yeah. Is, well, them. I think, is more of a receiver, for them. A receiver okay. for them. I think he's the guy they would like to get the ball in his hands. But, you know, they've continued to interact with Tyson Campbell, mm-hmm. Patrick Sertain, Elijah Griffin, the kid they've taken a look at on California. You know, there's plenty of guys that they've kind of thrown the hook in the water and see if they can get a bite. At this point, there's not a guy I would point to and be like, he's a clear-cut certainty to be in the class. Mm-hmm. But it wouldn't shock me in the next two weeks if we see a DB end up on that official visitor list that we don't currently expect.
0: So that leaves us about 8 to eight to 11 guys yeah. that you're saying that kind of and fluid with... They blood want blood. talent
1: to fill positions where they have needs, and they want talent that's going to help them win. Yeah. Those are the two
0: priorities. Yeah, right. we've seen that a whole lot of reaches so far, right. and that's something that Willie Taggart said after the early signing period when he met with the media was that it's not about, you no know, It's not about just filling the class, we want to get the right fits, which every coach is going to say, but they've kind of lived up to that so
1: far. We list 27 guys currently as top targets for Mm -hmm. FSU. That includes the commitments, so that's what, 12, 13 commitments. So about half of that is still target list. There's a handful of guys on that list who are kind of, you know, reaches at this point, Mm -hmm. William Barnes, for example. But there's a lot of guys on that list who will be in this class.
0: Mm -hmm. Nicholas Petit for the year.
1: He's actually not on top target list anymore. We moved him off because we don't expect FSU to truly make a – pursuit for him we'll see I'm it was kind of that. a mutual agreement apparently between Harbaugh and Fry regarding him and yeah. you know coaches respect that and in that case there was a lot mm-hmm. of I mean Fry has a connection to Harbaugh obviously Taggart has that connection Taggart mm-hmm. consulted with Harbaugh on hiring Fry so you know there there's a matter mm-hmm. of respect going yeah. on there and I know people don't like that and don't want to hear that but the truth is there that was going to be a long shot for FSU no matter what mm-hmm. so why burn a relationship for a kid you're probably not going to get
0: it makes sense. Just stupid because Michigan probably not going to get him either. But right, yeah. no,
1: I agree with you there. And in, in, in recruiting, most times feelings shouldn't matter. It shouldn't be anything emotional. But I also understand what the dynamic is there.
0: Well, see, I'm always a, you know you never know with the recruiting stuff. It's, it's fluid, but you know better than I would. Um, let's talk about James Foster real quick. Then we'll move on to the schedule. That's uh, well after. Uh, that that's their guy, that quarterback, right? I mean that, yeah, that's pretty of, much their, as, their as guy. of right now that is the quarterback
1: target. Yeah, they and struck they, out on Henry Jones legi- and that's
0: their that's their guy.
1: Yeah, they have a legitimate shot. LSU had him in last weekend. LSU's obviously been in search for a quarterback for several years now. Bama has him in this weekend. Bama doesn't truthfully make much sense for him. Mm-hmm. Really talented young quarterback room, but he grew up an Alabama fan. He's from the state of Alabama and it's Alabama. You yeah. just never roll out the Crimson Tide. Alabama is also recruiting a quarterback with the last name Purdy, P U R D Y. He's a kid that they're supposed to bring in next weekend. I think there's a better chance he ends up in their class than James Foster. Okay. And if that happens, that's obviously great news. Yeah, it takes it from good a good four team me. race to a three team race. Mm-hmm. Texas AM I'm supposed to bring him in, they're making an effort there. I don't see him going to Texas. Mm-hmm. I think he's Hear that Jimbo
0: Heen going nowhere near your program.
1: I see him staying Processed. within driving distance, which is LSU, FSU, or Bama. Okay. And then FSU is the final weekend, which is impressive. Last visit. William Walt Bell went in there last night. Haven't been able to follow up with James specifically on it. Mm-hmm. Spoken to some people that were involved in the visit. They felt good about it walked out of the house feeling confident that they had made a nice There's There's pictures
0: of him uh, doing tomahawk chops and social.
1: Mom certainly looked like she liked Willie. (laughs) Things looked comfortable. Mm -hmm. And I I think it's a relationship that the old staff deserves some credit for because Randy Sanders and Lawrence Dossie worked real hard Mm -hmm. at kind of building that bridge that Willie and Walt are now walking over Mm -hmm. to work on this kid. And now the matter is getting him on campus and impressing him in person.
0: It's, Funny to me that, that one of the few guys that the previous staff did still recruit, the new one has a chance at. That shows like when when the you don't have a 50-day complete hiatus and yeah. there's actually a, a modicum of effort put into it that, that it's easy to kind of build the brand uh, in that kid's mind. Yeah, uh, Again, showing just how difficult the task Willie Tagger had coming in. Also,
1: in Foster's case, his recruitment really all was happening in January. Mm-hmm. I mean, guys were going to see him in December, efforts were being made, but in reality, that kid's recruitment is a January recruitment. Yeah.
0: So an example of a kid who who you know his stock rises because there's not a whole lot left on the market at that position. Yeah, somebody, Good I, for him.
1: I forget who said it specifically in this manner, but the early signing period has created the month long eleventh hour. Mm-hmm. It used to be with signing day, you know, you'd think, oh, we're getting this DN mm-hmm. and this DN doesn't happen. So you called a kid that's going to Arkansas State, mm-hmm. offer him at the last minute and you pull him off because well FSU is a hell of a lot better than Arkansas yeah. State. That's almost what's happening in this last month for so many big schools where they had hope to get this kid in the early period, that kid signed, or they're not taking an official to your school, so now you're moving on to Plan B, and Plan B is becoming much more popular with multiple schools because they have multiple weeks to try to bring them in and try to pursue. All
0: right. Can I say, as we pivot off of recruiting, this is probably your best podcast ever, Chris? You've been, I, you've I been just,
1: engaged. You've been enthusiastic. I hope I'm loud and clear. That's what I care about. <laughs> but Yeah. I, I Chip, I feel good about the effort.
0: The chip, the chip on his shoulder is real. So it's not
1: a chip. <laughs> I just, I was disappointed to hear that people were struggling to hear me and that I wasn't speaking clear enough and slowly at times. So I'm trying to be better about it. I that.
0: think it was only one person that said it. Nah, a
1: couple people I have. I have no issue with it. I'd much rather it be really good for all users than disappointing for some.
0: <laughs> I like needling you. It's fun. Um, schedule. You want to talk about the schedule? Let's talk about the schedule. Sure. Because uh, you wrote a lot about it, a lot of, uh, first, man, I'm excited, I'm not looking forward to it being cold, but but going up to Notre Dame, uh, South Bend in, in, in November, is going to be fun.
1: Yeah, I just feel bad that the ticket thing is going about as it did, I, I was so, younger. So
0: it's 5,000 tickets yeah, for Florida State? I don't remember
1: the exact number, but I feel like the last time FSU was up there, they got 10,000 plus, I feel like it was a drastically higher number than mm-hmm. this current one, which is really disappointing, it's an awesome trip. South Bend itself is fairly boring, but university is really cool to go tour, see some of the things, and just be around for the pomp and circumstance of the mm-hmm. game there. You see so you, really so you went before? Okay. I've gone twice. I grew up Catholic, so Notre Dame as a child was kind of a... Mm-hmm. My parents are from the Northeast, weren't college football fans, so Notre Dame was kind of the default for me. So I grew up watching Notre Dame games on TV, being a fan, and myself and my older brother decided to go up there years ago. Loved it. It was awesome. It was really cool to see... I'm not a Notre Dame fan these days. I'm indifferent towards them. But as someone who grew up a fan of certain things about their program and what the ties to the Catholic religion and all that stuff, mm-hmm. it was really cool. And I obviously, really the Florida State ties there are pretty Also, spending time in Chicago, mm-hmm. well, I'm, I'm game for that anytime. time. I was going
0: to ask you that. Do we, we can do Chicago.
1: Yeah, Chicago's great. You, you do Chicago Friday and Sunday. You do South Bend on Saturday. That's how that trip works. Um,
0: but, but I just want to flip this out there. If you go to Indianapolis, all right, you get the best steak restaurant in the entire world. That's St. Elmo's. No, the best steak
1: r- restaurant is in Omaha, Nebraska. The Drover. That's the Drover is the best steak the best I've one ever one. had have
0: in the have, well, have you ever been no. to... No. Um, I've,
1: I've heard been. of St. Elmo's yeah. plenty of times. Yeah. Everybody, 100%. Anybody who that's has NFL ever draft. held the NFL yeah. drought uh, combine, yes. that is I mean, what they speak of. I
0: about. went Corey, Corey Clark uh, at War Chant. He was at the Democrat at the time and I was at the Sentinel. Everyone's going to the internet. Uh, we went, uh, we were the only two from the Florida State beat that went the year. Jameis was up there. Uh, so Corey was nice enough to take me out two St. Almost Tree to me. That steak, man, you didn't even need a knife. Like you just like go with the stri- It was like, it was butter. like butter. Just straight up with a fork. <laughs> um, I want to get more coffee. Can you carry us as we can you talk about the schedule and start going into it real quick while I uh, top myself off? Is that okay? Sure. Do you want water? For me?
1: Uh, no. Uh, yeah, sure. Um, obviously opening up Labor Day at home with Virginia Tech. It's nice for FSU to have that marquee game finally in Tallahassee. And that will result in a short week as they get ready to host Samford. FCS team, talented one. They were in the playoffs last year. But they're also an FCS team. You should beat them easily. Then you follow that up with the first road trip. You travel to an ACC opponent at Syracuse. Eric Dungy's back. Obviously Dino had a... Good bit of early success last year, and then it fell off in the back. And it will be interesting what Syracuse is next year. Where do they gravitate from being four and eight this past year?
0: That's a that's a, sorry, as I'm entering the room. That's a sneaky good road trip. Syracuse. Uh, there's actually really good eats there. Dinosaur barbecue. barbecue. Uh, but the the real gem I got I got both Wayne uh, the Democrat and and Safa Dean hooked on it when uh, actually Ben Jones and I've taken a lot of people there. It's my I wine them and dine them. Uh, it's Funkin' waffles and it's chicken and waffles. But they have like a Thanksgiving uh, waffle where they use stuffing as the batter for the waffle and they throw on uh, mashed potatoes and gravy and it's delicious. How am I the fat one? Well, I don't want to be a dick, but I I do go out and and walk. That's true. You do work out. That's (laughs) probably why you're not
1: fat. Yeah, okay. But you, you like eating more.
0: I love eating. It's it's a real problem. And, and right now, the... Uh, You're like man the, versus food on the beach. the the, the, future, the future misses is having a lot of stomach ailments. So, like, the diet's been real restricted around the house, which means, like, that restricts my diet. So I'm, like, sneaking pan pizzas, you know, Pizza Hut Pizza when I go to Target and stuff like that. Let's <laughs> try to get some of the junk food. But anyways, uh, yeah, Syracuse.
1: Yep. They come home from Syracuse after that. They host NIU. Yeah, I has got talented defense, mainly led by the big boy up front, Sutton Smith. He was one of the best sack men in the college football game last year. He's also a very good tackles for loss. I think he was top three or four in tackles for loss. He led the country in sacks.
0: Is Jordan Lynch still there?
1: No, Jordan Lynch <laughs> is not walking through that door. Um, then it kind of dives into full-fledged ACC schedule. Yeah. They travel to Louisville the next week. No Lamar Large, Jackson. Yeah, that no defense is f- awful. Yeah. And they lost a lot of talent. I mean, they bring back John Greenard and Dorian Etheridge. That's about it that they bring back on defense. Offensively, Juwan Pass is your next man up after Lamar Jackson. He's talented, but he ain't Lamar Jackson.
0: Last time we went to Louisville, uh, I, got up in those, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I got up in those mint juleps. And uh, how many times did I throw up the next morning?
1: I don't know, but I jumped the curb. To he say, he you know, did. I,
0: Chris jumped. I had to... Had to I, like, I yeah, saved your to, life, we, and I saved my poster. We need to we need to pull over as we we're driving into the stadium. And he's like, "All right, yeah, in a minute." I was like, "No, now." <laughs> I made a, a nice impression on a bunch of Louisville fans.
1: So after at Louisville, they travel to at Miami. You know, Miami's ten and three, finished with three straight losses. That one's going to be interesting. They return a good bit of offensive talent. Malik's their quarterback again. He doesn't set my world on fire.
0: Perry Perry's not the... Well, he'll the, compete
1: for it, but I'll believe it when I see I it. I thought that was Jameis. Travis mm-hmm. Homer will be the running back. Lorenzo mm-hmm. Lingard, really highly regarded freshman, will probably be the complement to him in the backfield. And then Amon Richards is the most Stunned. talented guy back on their yeah, offense. You'll see Stunning. Jeff Thomas, Mike Harley. They'll be there to stretch the field a little bit more. A lot of speed in the slot. All those guys. linebackers
0: will be juniors, right? Yeah, the um,
1: linebacker core completely comes back. Jaquan Johnson, who I love in the secondary. I think he's a leader on that whole squad. He'll be back. Their defensive line is going to kind of be overhauled. Front. They yeah. lost Trent Harris. He was a senior. R.J. McIntosh and Kendrick Norton Chet turned pro Thomas. early. Yeah, so there's a lot of talent missing from that front. Mm -hmm. But linebacker, of course, is going to help make up for that. Plus, Coach Coles done a good job of kind of bringing more guys in there. So it'll be interesting. So they get their bye week, October 13th. Kind of nice. For the first time in a couple years, their bye week's a little more smack. Right in the middle of the schedule. Yeah, it makes sense. That's good. It's a little refreshing. They come off the bye and they travel, or I'm sorry, they host Wake Forest. Uh Bit of a sneaky game. John Mm -hmm. Wolford's not on that roster anymore. Mm -hmm. But Clawson's done a really good job of progressing that program. Yeah. They went 8-5 and five last year. They were 500 in the conference. Wake Forest they kind of always, always a, compete with FSU. Always a pain in the ass for floors. Wolford, Camp Serene are gone. Those two have been kind of, you know, Neil's mm-hmm. on the chalkboard for FSU. Kendall Hinton's a guy who's talented. But I'm not trying to turn Wake into a world leader. Yeah. It's just a decent game. Coming off a of bye, you're going you to have to be a Wake to, for
0: but it. But on the backside of Wake...
1: It gets real tough. If. You host Clemson on the 27th. You travel to NC State on November 3rd. And then you traveled to Notre Dame on November 10th. Mm-hmm. Three games against three capable opponents. I think they combined for thirty-one wins last year. I think that's what I calculated when I did the Ooh, schedule overview. Okay, good work. Clemson, I mean, how the hell did I keep getting this talent to walk back to the dark? All
0: those guys on the defensive line is absurd. Yeah,
1: I mean like, their their defense is gonna be ridiculously. Good.
0: Like Farrell isn't even the best one coming back there, and that's a six foot five defensive end that yeah. moves really quickly, and that's a I mean it's that's a first-round guy. That's you got coming Wilkins,
1: back. you got Austin Bryan, you've got Dexter Lawrence. I mean that, that's disgusting. They did lose Dorian O'Daniel, they didn't find him a magical additional year thank god but that defense is damn good offensively you know kelly's still the quarterback probably going to get some competition from the young guns mm-hmm. then you got the receiving core which they're going to have to kind of find new bodies Deion kane is gone ray ray's gone i think you see guys like amari rogers and t higgins kind of step in and fill that role i mean
0: it's clemson you feel good that they're gonna yeah get in, their in the backfield
1: well. i think travis etienne's a guy that's going to take a big leap next year i think he's got a. People won't realize how good he is yeah. because that offense kind of centered around Kelly Bryant in mm-hmm. a lot of ways last year. Travis is a stud. He's yeah. about as quick as they come in a college game. He's a guy I think they really break out. And then Mitch Hyatt's back, your primary blocker. Mm-hmm. Big piece on the offensive line. I believe they have to replace the majority of their interior line, though. But Clemson's been stockpiling, so I don't think they're going to fall and, off.
0: And they're pretty good at, at- – managing around you know, yeah. like shortcomings. I mean, the fact they made Kelly Bryant a, a competent <coughs> quarterback this year was, was yeah, pretty Yeah, because he wasn't that good. He Correct. was very
1: underwhelming in person when yeah. FSU played there. And not to knock the kid, but he was kind of middle of the road.
0: No, he's, he's fine. He is what he is. He needs some help around the, to, to the credit of you know Clemson's coaching staff. That's the guy who follows Deshaun Watson. You get to the playoffs. Like, yeah. Man, yeah
1: it's never fun to follow the legend. No. So next week is NC State. Which is it. always an easy place. At NC State, <laughs> for the Thursday. House of Hearts. The good news, it's not a Thursday. The bad news is Ryan Finley's still there and he really kind of picked up. When's the state? When's year. the state fair in town there? Oh god. Um, <laughs> probably around that time though. No? Finley's gonna probably have to carry more to load for that team yeah. this year. They they, they lost the Swiss Army knife, Jalen Samuels. They lost Naheem Hines, who was a all purpose yardage monster mm-hmm. last year. Very good guy out of backfield, also as a receiver. Those two big pieces are gone. He's going to rely more on Kelvin Harmon, very productive receiver last year. Jacoby Myers, who torched FSU, kind of was his come-out party last year. And Stephen Lewis, who is good, very good yards per catch kind of guy, needs to become a more consistent producer with more reception style. So the offense is kind of a mixed bag. Tony, Rich- or Tony Adams and Will Richardson are gone from the O-line, so there's some new pieces there. But that offense is going to have enough to do some things. They're going to be able to score okay. some points, especially in the passing. The
0: game. other side of the ball is going to be the... the rushing
1: attack is to be determined yeah. with them, both because of the O-line and because replacing the two guys in the backfield. Defense, especially defensive line, is where the question mark is. We'll
0: lose everyone on that. Bradley Chubb's gone. Down. He's not going to
1: be yeah. spitting on any more college football fields. So Being allowed to spit on yeah. college football fields. Yeah. Well, he earned it. Um, so they're going to have to figure out what they are defensively. Mm-hmm. It's not like their secondary has ever been super strong, and their linebackers have been capable, good guys like Gerard Fernandez, good tackling mm-hmm. machine. But they wreaked havoc with their D-line last year, and that group's very different looking. Yep. So defensively, they're a big question mark. That game wouldn't be as concerning if it was kind of its freestanding, didn't have a big game before and after it, but it literally a smack in between right. two really big games. Yeah. So you're coming off Clemson, always an emotional game, win or lose, mm-hmm. very physical game commonly. Also, your O-line kind of gets beat the hell up because it's so physical in the trenches where they're big boys mm-hmm. that you're then coming to NC State and having to face them. And then you come off that and you travel to Notre Dame. You go to Notre Dame, Dame. yeah, which, for a night game. Yeah, and I, I don't think Notre Dame for today's college athlete is as significant as it might have been 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. But still, it's a cool place, and it's a place that I think when you're there in the moment and you got you know 7.30 kick on NBC, it you're going to have some butterflies. It's just going to be a natural order type mm-hmm. thing. Quarterback for them is eh, trying to figure it out. It's Brandon Winbush, Ian Book. They both saw time last year. Neither of them set your world on fire. Mike McGlinchey, who outside of Miami game last year, was an outstanding offensive tackle. He's gone. Uh, They lost some key pieces at receiver. So the offense kind of is in transition, trying to figure out what they are. Mm -hmm. Defensively, they have pieces, but Mike Elko, who's kind of the architect of the turnaround there this past year in a big way, is gone. He left for A&M and way too much money. Clark Lee, Karklia, I'm not sure how you say Clark's last name. He was there last year. He's taken over as a D.C. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they got some good news. Tevin Coney, talented linebacker, South Florida kid. Jerry Tillery, defensive lineman, both decide to come back and start going pro. Those are big pieces to build your defense around. They got capable talent in the secondary. So it's a good game. It's a game that's coming off of two big weeks in a row. It's an interesting one. Plus, heck, it's always cool to go to Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. Then you come home and you play B.C. again. B.C. is going to be you know, as good as A. J. Dillon's able to be. Yeah. If that O line which is returning pretty much the entire bunch, is able to block it up, AJ Dillon can run for a lot of yards and produce a lot of yardage on the season. It will be similar to the running back that they had
0: Andre Williams? Is it Andre? Was About it, five years,
1: four or five years ago.
0: The, when Jameis, the guy who's yeah. husband. Yeah, it's Andre yeah. Williams, I think. Yeah. Yep. I, think he, a, I think he's a little bit better. I think
1: than AJ. Me. yes, I agree, he's more talented. I think the production oh, can yes. be on par with yeah. that. Yeah,
0: because that guy had like 2,000 um, yards, didn't
1: he? Defensively, they lost Harold Landry. He didn't play against FSU last year. Zach Allen, who very much broke out last year at the other DN spot, he's back. Lucas Dennis, one of the best defensive backs in the country at picking the ball off, he's back. So they've got some pieces. Connor Strachan, I can't remember if he played against FSU or not last year. I want to say he did not. The linebacker was injured. Talented kid. He's back. So they've got some pieces on defense. The offense is going to be run it downhill, block it up up front, mm-hmm. and see what you can do at quarterback with Anthony Brown. He's not a world beater, but if you can do a few things to keep things fresh for A.J. Dillon, they're going to be pretty good. They won seven games last year most of that on the back end of the season. They beat Florida State we'll last year. I don't we, know if you remember that. Um, yeah. <laughs> that <laughs> on a Friday down. night. <laughs> we'll see if their success, I think they won five of their last seven mm-hmm. last year. We'll see if they start a the season with some success. I feel like traditionally in recent years for them, they've kind of salvaged it on the back yeah, end. And, yep. and then FSU wraps up their season with non-con with Florida mm-hmm. in Tallahassee, November 24th. Who the hell knows what yeah, Florida's Florida. going to look well, like? I, I, I like Dan Mullen. I think one, that Yeah, Mullen's a good coach. Year one, though, under Mullen. And we'll the, the big question is still the big question. At quarterback. Quarterback. What are they going to be? So offensively, you know, Tyree Cleveland's back, talented mm-hmm. receiver. Lamichael Michael Perrine in the backfield, is good enough running back. So they have that stuff on offense. Then on defense, Grantham's coming in. You know he's going to be aggressive, sometimes almost too aggressive. Mm-hmm. But I'm personally a fan of Todd Grantham's play calling. I enjoy it, even though sometimes it backfires on him. C.C. Jefferson came back on the front end. Marco Wilson will kind of anchored the back end. So there's some talent there. But till Florida has a quarterback and a capable offense, you just don't know what yeah, the heck yeah, yeah. they're going to be. So trying to predict that game, you know, what are we, 10 months out from it basically? <laughs> Good luck. I'm yeah. not going to try. My initial take looking at the schedule, 9-3, and 8-4, and 10-2. I would probably settle on 9-3. and 3. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think Clemson's obviously a tough task.
0: Um, I was, I was going to go 8-4, but I mean... Who, yeah, who, I, I think Clemson's a, a tough
1: task. I don't love Miami. I think Miami's a better team today than FSU, but we'll see what they are when they match up in you know early October. VTech's kind of a flip the coin because it's game First one. First game of the season. New yep. system, new coaches. Mm-hmm. You know, you never know how it's going to be when you come out of gate. That three-game stretch there's tough. Notre Dame's a tough game. I I feel like... Clemson's a certainty, and then there's about four games you can pick two losses out of mm-hmm. maybe even three losses, and that's why I settled on nine and
0: three. Yeah, I mean, that, that seems fair, and we've got to see what Florida State is and get idea of them young know, in the spring and see what, what they have, who's healthy, all, all that stuff. So it's obviously a, a ways away. But it's, it's a, on paper, it's a tough schedule. You have well, how many teams that were bowl that were bowl teams last year. Uh, n- S- I believe not
1: nine were bowl teams, Ooh, and nine. then Samford was an FCS playoff team. So okay. Ten teams that played in the postseason – of their respective divisions. I
0: mean, yeah, it's not going to be an easy. It's not going to be an easy. Well, Florida didn't play in a bowl. Uh,
1: <laughs> and then uh, who else didn't make a bowl last uh, year? Syracuse did not. Because, because they fell off so bad. Yeah. Um, that remember how high people were, and I was yeah. among them. How high people were on Syracuse following that Clemson upset? Yeah. Dino's got that offense rolling. They got Ishmael, who's gone, mm-hmm. and Urban Phillips who's gone. At receiver, Dungy's you know a dynamic playmaker outside of when his head gets wrong, and their defense was improving, which really had nowhere to go but up last year. But it was getting better, yeah. And then they just kind of fell off the face of the planet the last month. I was awful for them.
0: I sure. I like Dino Babers too. That's I do. In the preseason, he was saying around that middle of that second season is when things start kind of clicking, and that kind of looked like that was coming to fruition. Yeah, because their defense was getting better, and their
1: defense was so. Dreadful mm-hmm. two years ago that it had nowhere to go but up but it looked like they were clearly making a jump and that kind of reverted back to its old business in the back half of the last year. It couldn't stop many people.
0: No. Um, I mean listen it's a, it's a tough schedule we knew with who they were going to play that it was going to be tough. I don't think uh, there was a lot of uh, on social media a lot of people that weren't really thought that Florida State was getting their you know, getting screwed over a little bit with the way the schedule is going to work. I mean that three game slate at the end in, in October and November between Clemson at NC State at Notre Dame is really tough. But man, when you look at like the openings that they had, there was going to be a stretch like that at some point. That just that's you're you're playing, you know, I think cross the, cross, cross division you're playing Miami and Virginia Tech like I think it, the it,
1: preference would have been if you could have like you need Samford on that short week because mm-hmm. it's a short week. So, if you could have taken NIU and mm-hmm. switched it with NC State, maybe, that would have been more welcomed. Then, yeah, but then then you're talking about Well,
0: then you're talking about one, two, three, four road games in a row. Right, but
1: well, my point more so is trying to real tough, yeah. less tough, real tough. You know, I, NC State's still kind of mid-tier, if not upper-tier, of toughness I think on that schedule.
0: I think if you're Florida State... What you like is you're breaking in a new offense, obviously, a new defense. Uh, out Virginia Tech's going to be difficult, but uh, they're breaking in some new you know, pieces uh, on their, their roster.
1: Their defense is going to be a lot of fresh faced guys. But, they lose the two but, linebackers. Bud has uh, always done a good job with mm-hmm. kind of having his troops prepared and being able and capable of pulling it off and figuring it out you know, as the bullets start flying. But we'll see how that is. That that game's going to be one of those games where I think the two teams are really filling themselves out in
0: the first mm. half. Which is, I guess so my point is, is you look at that, that start of schedule, you have a good chance to go 4-0, and 5-0, 4-1. Um, yeah. Yeah. And build some confidence for a group that really, really needs it after you know this past season.
1: Especially but, as they figure out what the heck
0: they're yeah, doing. Exactly. There's, there's so many variables at play there. They're trying to restore confidence. Trying to understand a new offense. Trying to figure out who your identity is and what you are. Trying for that coach to, for the coach and to figure out what they have. Like, getting. There, there's I mean,
1: going to be no greater teacher for FSU next year than the film of the Virginia Tech game.
0: Yeah. No, you're right. That's going to be and that's going to be against a good a good team. Um, and that's going to possibly, and that gives them. But then they have opportunity to, <coughs> to apply that. Uh, Samford at Syracuse, Northern Illinois. Those are all win games. You should win. Yeah. Uh, even if you're still feeling things out a little bit, so I like that it's not front loaded for Florida State. And I, I I'm kind of a, in the in the camp that is actually a nice yeah for Florida State. I
1: wouldn't flip the schedule. I'll that, <laughs> yeah. Like I would not. It, then you
0: would have a legitimate gripe saying that that ACC screwing over. Yeah, if over. you.
1: If you Flipped and began with Florida and worked it backwards. Yeah, it's a far more difficult schedule than if you're at least allowed to kind of prepare to try to figure out what you are on the back
0: end. Road trip that you're looking forward to the most? I love thing. going to Notre
1: Dame and it's it's unique. We don't do it often, you mm-hmm. know. We don't we don't get to make that trip. And I like Chicago a ton. I have a buddy in Chicago. I'm looking forward to seeing. And it's just good eats, good fun, really cool campus to go tour. I highly suggest people. Get there, you know, early in the day, one, two in the afternoon, take two, three hours, walk around the campus, check out some of the sites, check out the athletic facilities, their training mm-hmm. facilities really nice. And then get in the stadium. Get in there early, see what they do on the field, see some of the stuff they do, enjoy their band. Their fans from what I recall were very nice, very enjoyable to be around. I, I loved it. I it, it's one of the better road trips I've ever made in my life of covering FSU and even when I was younger, just going to games with family and such.
0: Alright, I'm looking forward to that. Um I want to redeem myself at Louisville, though. I want to to not. I want to not throw
1: up. I'll keep you in check in Chicago the night before.
0: (laughs) No, yeah, no promises about Chicago. um, But I'm also, I'm also have. Had a newfound appreciation for bourbon in the past. You year. have the
1: deep dish pizza, which helps. Oh you god, to, no! I don't like it. Helps you to soak to it Chicago. up. Chicago. Oh, that's true. It helps to balance you out. It lays a good foundation. That was
0: part of the issue at Louisville. Is that that Corey wanted to get the spicy pizza or something like that, and that mixing with the mint juleps, and then switching to the nasty natty lights or whatever they were, Miller lights, and then the acidicness from the pizza was just. You a, gotta lay the base.
1: <laughs> okay. Do it like a professional.
0: I'm listening because your experience of eating and drinking and combining the two. You're, I've you're, done it a few times <laughs> in my life.
1: I don't do it much anymore these days like I used to, but I've done it a time or two. You're correct.
0: I don't like deep dish pizza. I'm just going to throw that out what? Yeah. Are you you're, Like you're, genuinely good I've been to pizza? Chicago when I was in high, and I was like, this is just like soup. It's soup. Man, it's I'll, ass soup. Uno's
1: isn't any good, and I'll go just I know you because go to, I want some You go some to Orlando,
0: dish. and you go to Uno's, which is just It's psychotic. not like religious. I just yeah. won't do it here
1: and there. There's not a ton of great deep dish pizza throughout the state of Florida. There's not or great at least deep I'm not dish finding pizza it. anywhere. Those listening to the pod, if you know a great deep dish pizza in the state of Florida, tweet at me.
0: It doesn't – what's your Twitter
1: handle? CD247. I would hope at most of these CD, folks know I mean, that. I don't know. It's so a yes, different medium. Deep dish, hook me up. Let me know. All right. I'll we're, go knock it out.
0: We're, uh, we're we're starting to spin a little bit, which is kind of how the – I'm actually- always
1: here to talk a little deep dish pizza. <laughs>
0: This has been your top performance of a podcast from start to finish ever. And the reward was you got to talk about deep <laughs> All right All right. Let's let's do this. You wrap it up. I, I can't do it. No no, let me try, Are we let me done? try. Yeah, I think what else do we have to talk about? I don't know. I mean we've got recruiting. Um, We have an entire coaching staff. I
1: know you did a lot of that No, you know
0: what we did do, but your thoughts on the coaching staff now that it's complete, and the fact that it is complete, the timing, I know you (laughs) wanted to talk about that a little bit. Let's go over that real quick. Five more minutes. It's
1: important from a recruiting (laughs) perspective that they are done. They're Mm -hmm. able to now tell a kid this will be your position coach. I think at receiver where they have a great deal of need, that's a very important thing. I think David Kelly's an excellent hire at receiver Mm -hmm. personally. I know you're very familiar with David. I think highly of David from talking to people about him. He was the guy that was, in my opinion, sort of railroaded by the NCA and by uh, uh, he, UCF.
0: He was railroaded by UCF. He was an and up-and-comer win. when that
1: yeah. happened at UCF. He's he was essentially going, taking a six-year hiatus because he got for, railroaded. For
0: people, and he's 61 now, so yeah. I mean, he, but for people that, that don't know, I don't think we said this on the podcast, um, he was likely the heir apparent to George O'Leary when his yeah. time was done. Because they had the secession plan for Brent Key, and Brent's a fine position coach. He's not the head coach. Yeah. That would have been a disaster. Uh, and they got so just the end of that UCF tenure was was bad and and but but David Kelly was the guy. yeah, um, so you, you got a guy who was about to be the head coach of a pretty good program uh, as your wide receiver coach right now.
1: And he's a recruiting dog. He yes. loves going after big timers. Mm-hmm. he he enjoys the pursuit.
0: Yeah, he likes the challenge of, of, you tell me I can't do it, and let's let's go in yeah. there. I mean, he, he goes toe-to-toe with anyone.
1: So. I like that Greg Fry is very direct about what he wants to be. Mm-hmm. He, he knows what he wants his O-line to be. He's realistic about what he has at his disposal. He was very quick to go address some of those needs and try to pursue guys. I'm impressed by that. Uh, we've talked a good bit about Pimp and Telly Lockett. I don't feel like we need to rehash on those. Walt Bell, I'm not super familiar with. I've obviously done what everybody has done, looked at the bio blast kind of figured out what he did in the past. Mm-hmm. The impressive thing with him is how quickly the extension has happened. He yeah. he had the shot at ULM when um took it. So, you know, he's clearly a guy that's thought of highly in the college football ranks.
0: I mean, a lot of our, our colleagues that are more familiar with him um, Yes, Tom. Um, yeah. Who else? A couple guys. JC, I saw a Yeah, JC about did. There's a, cou- a couple guys uh, within our network that we both respect, uh Respect him a lot. So I, I think
1: it's good that Willie brought in another. I I've said this since the beginning with Willie. I think he's got that's Very willing to have strong voices within the room, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I think that's a good thing for FSU as a collective.
0: He's willing. Yes. Get it? Man, I hate you.
1: Sometimes. <laughs> Defensively, Harlan Barnett. I think we've spoken about this previously on the pod. Another guy's not super familiar with, but every time I talk to somebody that is familiar with him, it's rave reviews. I've not had anybody like kind of question on him or throw out something negative that hasn't I happened.
0: think that's how Willie Taggart kind of sounded like. He wasn't originally on the radar for, yeah. for the staff. I think it was like a third or fourth option. But once they kind of did the due diligence and saw that he was they – they heard the same things that we've heard, which yeah. is just a professional, a great teacher, a leader of young men – um, and developer it, of talent. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, and scheme savvy. He's, he's been groomed by some really, really, really good defensive minds.
1: We all know who and what Odell is. Don't need to rehash that. Raymond Woody's another guy that we, I believe we've discussed we've previously. I think Raymond will do very good at his position. Again, another very talented recruiter on the trail. Another guy that's very aggressive on the trail. And then Mark Snyder's a very veteran coach.
0: And I think the staff needed... Yes. Uh, needed another kind of head coaching type or someone with I, a lot of I don't want to use the term
1: he has the coaching chops because I feel like that diminishes the other people on the staff. Is that another is cliche? That it is yeah. to some degree. But he's a guy that's done it a lot at a lot of different levels in a lot of different ways. Mm. There's a lot of experience at his disposal. And he's done it at a good level at a lot of stops. It's hey. not like he's a guy that – he's not Ted Roof. He hasn't fallen up somehow accidentally. He's a guy that's kind of earned his way. You mean way. Florida State defensive coordinator target I didn't <laughs> do that. I, I have a low opinion of Ted Roof. I think he's a guy that's fallen upwards without really deserving it. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like Mark Snyder's that. I feel like Mark Snyder's a guy that's almost kind of settled back into this position, mm-hmm. but has experience that far exceeds his value at
0: this his, position. His seasons so. weren't – he wasn't a terrible coach at Marsh. Like he, he he left after going 6-6, six and six. Yeah. Um, but I think that was his only 500 years. So I guess he wasn't a good head coach, but – as a coordinator, like at USF, he was, I think they had like top 20 defenses both years he was there, and that was when Skip Holtz was kind of just driving that thing into the ground. Yeah. Um,
1: Plus, him and Harlan are very familiar with one another. Well, I
0: know, know. and I think that's, if you're a Florida State fan, you like that Harlan felt comfortable uh, bringing him on. Yeah. I'm not sure the dynamics of, of was that like someone they were looking at before, was that Harlan's guy, but it seems logically you can say that they brought him.
1: As a whole, they're young, yeah. they're energetic, they're aggressive. They want to get out and recruit. They have a clear idea of what they want to be as a team, both on the offensive and the defensive side of the ball. And I just think it's kind of a good passage for them.
0: We we know that they have have an identity, and I think that is such an important, or at least a a concept of what their identity is going to be. I think that – The best teams, uh, the teams that maximize their talent are the ones that have an idea of this is what we're going to be, this is what our strengths are, these are our weaknesses we avoid, and you can consistently maximize while while hiding weaknesses. That's what good football teams do.
1: Yeah, and then you have the 10th coach, Alonzo Hampton. They Mm -hmm. greenlit the ability to have a 10th coach. I believe it was January 9th. He's a guy that... Got Ferrante's smiling somewhere. (laughs) To this point, we believe he's going to kind of concentrate on special teams, I think he'll also assist, assist uh, Harlan with the defensive secondary. Yeah. He has some coaching chops back there. And he's also kind of a connection to high school rings, had success in Georgia recruiting. Mm-hmm. He's a good recruiter. He kind of, I think it's a float guy, mm-hmm. for lack of a better term. I think he can do a lot of little things that kind of help with yeah. staff, both so in a recruiting and a coaching Interesting
0: use of that 10th spot. But yeah. I think that makes sense. Um, and his... His unit at USF, specs—he did special teams, I believe, at, at USF. And uh, like, if you look at the SFP plus stuff, it wasn't great. Uh, but then, if you kind of boil it down to the, their kicker was terrible, I think. Not much you can do if your kicker sucks. Yeah. Uh, the coverage units were actually fairly you know, above average and, and fine. So he seems like he knows what he's doing there, and know, yeah, a lot of people, uh, a lot of flack on it. Are, Damn it, flack, 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 yes. flack or slack, flack, flack on. <laughs>
1: Slack is what we use to communicate. Slack is what we use to communicate. I'm supposed
0: to be the wordsmith of the staff too, and it just it's it's all smoke and mirrors, man. Um <laughs> <laughs> just, You're talking about on the Ted Roof of Mills twenty four seven. Um but he he has a I, I like him for people that, that were skeptical of it, hiring, because his resume wasn't the same as others. Like I don't think it's as anywhere near as, as risky of a hire as made out to be.
1: I look at hires as filling specific roles. And yeah. Teams have a lot of different roles. and I think Alonzo Hampton's a guy that can fill Multiple different roles to some degree, well, and I think that's sort of what he was hired to be.
0: And that defensive staff is the older side, of, it, it of the provided the too, flexibility to go in.
1: hire an OC quarterback coach mm-hmm. instead of hiring a DB coach. Mm-hmm. I think the original preference was to hire a non DB coach, but I think it made sense to add an additional strong voice on the offensive side of Ball, yep. which is why they went with Bell over an mm-hmm. additional DB coach. But Hampton can assist as a DB coach, mm-hmm. so it's like a two for one.
0: Yep. Yeah, it, ma- it makes sense. I think there's some – man, Willie Taggart loves adaptability and versatility, and I think we saw that as he compiled this coaching staff. I'm,
1: I'm interested to see how they jive with one another. Mm-hmm. That's always an interesting dynamic with new coaching staffs. Obviously, there's a lot of familiar prior relationships among the group. I'm interested to see how the players take to them. I'm interested to see how the spring is executed as far as implementing things and guys absorbing it and how quickly that process occurs. Mm-hmm. I'm not – I have no preconceived notions. You know, I said 9-3, and 8-4, and four, looking at the schedule. That's because of the roster talent. That's mm-hmm. not because I believe magically some beans are going to be spread and, you know, things are going to happen. I, I have no preconceived notions. I want to walk into this season, kind of just let it all happen. I want it to happen in front of me instead of me expecting it to
0: happen. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Um, Matt, I, I think if you were to have expectations that there would be a rejuvenation of guys – Feeling, I'm saying, guys, players feeling more motivated. Yeah, uh, I think I, that's. I think that's And I fair think the ones expect. that don't
1: buy into that, you say buy to you them. get rid of it real quick. I think yeah. it kind of allows the roster to clean itself up, but it's which needed to be done. That roster has had a healthy amount of dead weight. Yeah, and guys that you know for whatever reason didn't really feel wanted or want to be here. That needed to be kind of. And I think with change, how did that, how did that, that go happens. Out? But I think that yeah. I think that's a good thing. In mm-hmm. Short term, it's not a great thing because it hurts depth. Yeah. Yeah. But long term, it's a great thing because it gives you the roster that wants to be here. That's all in on mm-hmm. being a good team, but, or the best team they can be at least.
0: And as a, you're trying to maximize, and that what hasn't happened since 2013, yeah. you know, 2014 to an extent. Um, what I like about bringing in a new step, and this is just just from my experience, like if you start a new job, like when I joined, you know, Knowles 24 seven. You feel rejuvenated. That's just, that's natural. When there's new blood, new life... Honeymoon period. Yeah, that happens. Uh, so I think you can expect some of that natural... T- t- some of that to happen organically at Florida State. We- we'll see. Um, I think it's a good staff. I know I wasn't a fan of doing you know, coaching grades. Uh, so Josh threw out, he said B+. Plus. I said, well, you know, A- minus is what I thought. I... I- I think if you're Florida State, they've maximized uh, what they can do with recruiting in Florida. That's going to be set up well. The schemes they're going to be running are going to fit well with the type of athletes they want to bring in. On paper, and this is strictly on paper, it makes sense. Yeah. I think fans should and be
1: excited. The thing I liked about how you went about evaluating the coaching staff is the unknown is what are these guys going to do at FSU? Yeah. We're, we're in that polo, being a staff among one another, with the talent at their disposal, what are they going to do? Mm-hmm. What, what's the... We haven't seen them do it before. Let's see them do it here about these guys. And, yeah, I think they're a capable bunch.
0: Mm-hmm. I do, too. I, I think this is going to be really interesting. I think it's going to be fun to cover an offense that is fast and uses RPOs and more modern. Um, it, it's going to be fun, and I think the fans are going to enjoy it, too. Uh, guys will have recruiting podcasts, I think, my. Think we'll do one, yeah, in the middle of the week or so to Me recap. Me and Josh and next week
1: yep. we'll get together try to knock that one out. Um, we were planning to go to Senior Bowl next week, but with Derek Naughty out, we're not doing that. So no. I'm freed up. We're going to be in Tallahassee, so we'll be covering recruiting. Obviously, that's going to be hot and heavy over the next two and a half plus weeks. Um, that's going to be the main focus. And I know Bob and Brendo are going to work a little bit on telling you more about these new coaches and how they fit into FSU, and that's kind of our goal. But Thanks for joining us, and we'll talk to you next time.
0: You ever call me Brendo again, I'm going to slap you in the face.